Talk Work, a podcast that seeks to explore the diversity and complexity of Australian women's experiences of work. I'm Claire Conroy. In this episode, recorded during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I talked to McGrath Foundation breast care nurse Karen Ernst. Karen is the only McGrath breast care nurse whose job is solely to support women and a few men with stage 4 breast cancer, the incurable type, where people present with secondary cancer in places such as the bones, lung, liver or brain. Having not experienced cancer myself, nor having had to support someone close to me through the ins and outs of cancer treatment, I was curious to find out about what Karen's role actually involves and where it fits within the myriad of health practitioners and support providers involved with a patient's cancer treatment. From reading some media articles about Karen before the interview, it was really clear to me what a significant, positive impact Karen has on the women she cares for, as well as their families. So one of the things we also talk about is how she's able to remain so positive about a role in which death and dying is a constant part. When you meet someone for the first time and they ask, what do you do for work, how do you answer? I usually explain to them that I work for the McGrath Foundation uh, and in doing that or that part of that work is uh, supporting people with the diagnosis of secondary breast cancer. So I usually explain to them that the majority of McGrath nurses across the country um, provide care, coordination and support for people with the diagnosis of early breast cancer, which is the curable kind. Mm-hmm. And my role is a little different. I'm um, currently their only breast cancer breast care nurse that only looks after people with a diagnosis of secondary or stage four breast cancer. So that's when it's spread from um, outside of the breast and it's uh, in another organ like the liver or lungs or the brain. And at that point it's incurable. Right. So when, when you first form a relationship with um, a patient, like at, at what stage do they come to you? Have they just received the diagnosis and then you're, you're connected up with them somehow? Yeah, it's usually very immediately um, after that diagnosis. So sometimes, uh, you know, the oncologist, I'm based at the Canberra Hospital, and the oncologists know that I'm usually um, in the room next door or around. So if they've just told someone the news, they'll usually step outside the room and get me to come in just to be there for the remainder of that discussion that they'll have with the patient about um, what the treatment plan is going to be and what sort of support the patient's going to need. Um, and they usually get me in on that pretty quickly so that I, I know where the patient's at. And it's it's all for the patients, you know, usually a woman having the right information and everyone being on the same page and knowing, you know, what the aim is for that treatment. So so what do you do from there? So you're, you're obviously right there at a, um, I guess, what can be a quite an emotional and um, overwhelming moment for for the patient and their family. What, how does your role progress from that point? Well, um, so usually our oncologists are fabulous, so they'll spend, you know, um, quite a bit of time explaining everything to the patient and their family if they're there with them. But quite often people walk out of that consult and they, you know, they've only heard, you know, secondary cancer and they don't, they just stop hearing anything or, or they just don't understand or they have questions that they don't want to ask the oncologist because they might be, they might think it's a dumb question, which, you know, you know, there's no such thing. But so usually um, if, I, if I'm sensing that they're feeling a little bit overwhelmed with it all, then we will go and have another chat. We'll find another private room and I can explain things a little bit further and maybe in a bit of plainer language and um, just reinforce what the doctor said. 
but we usually try not to sort of overwhelm people too much because, you know, these days, even though it is an incurable illness, we are generally talking years of treatment for most people. So we try not to bombard them with too much information and sort of throw everything in the pot at the first, um, you know, the first meeting. So usually just explain that I'm here, I'm part of the team, I'm there to help. Um, you know, things will come up, but I'm going to be this constant sort of presence through their treatment. And that's, you know, that's my aim. And that, that gives people some reassurance as well that, you know, I give them my contact number, my business card. And then uh, instead of, you know, reading in the hospital and going through 10 different people to get a message to someone, you know, that they've, we might send them off for a scan or something like that. So instead of ringing 10 people trying to tell the right person how to scan, they just ring me. And, and then I know what to do after that. So it just makes their life a little bit simpler. Um, hospitals are complex things to negotiate. So um, I can be that point of contact for them. So you're kind of like a guide that helps them navigate the, um, I guess, the bureaucracy and the complexity of of the system. Yeah, that's right. So how does your role differ from um, like the other nursing care that they will that they have during their their treatment? Well, cancer. Um, it's very complex and they say like something, you know, before patients are diagnosed with cancer, they've already met about 30 healthcare professionals. So just about that, you know, just around those investigations and things that they'll be having. So um, especially breast cancer, it's a, um, it's it's quite a tricky disease and the patients I look after will move anywhere between a surgical setting, a radiation oncology setting, which is, you know, the ray treatment to areas to shrink tumours, uh, chemotherapy, um, and then a lot of the treatments done as outpatients as well. Sometimes they, they're admitted to the hospital if they become unwell. So um, sometimes they go off to the neurosurgery department and have brain surgery. So it's trying to keep track of everyone where they're at because <laughs> letters and correspondence between doctors doesn't always keep up, you know, uh, in real time. So I know where someone is um, at any point and know what's going on with them so that I can sort of expedite their access to the next service they're going to need. So, so how many how many patients do you have on the books um, at, at the moment? Yeah, on average, I probably sit around and and look. This is not knowing everybody with advanced cancer or secondary cancer in in Canberra. So I'm based at the Canberra Hospital to see patients that um, come there for their medical oncology appointments or for radiation therapy. So there's patients that go back to private hospitals as well that I don't follow routinely. Right. But people that are known to me, it, it's on average about a hundred patients. Wow. But I've got colleagues that have, you know, um, three or 400 patients that they're coordinating for as well in other tumour groups. So um, it's still a smaller tumour group compared to some of the others. Right. And so do you, like, how, like how do you actually manage that many um, kind of people? How do you possibly kind of prioritise your time and, and um, ab- amongst all of those patients? Well, I guess um, you do have to put the onus on the patients to some degree that because all of the patients with secondary breast cancer have regular reviews so if they're particularly unwell or they're on treatment we're seeing them every three or four weeks sometimes if they're very unwell and things are a little bit tricky our doctors will see them weekly if we have to you know micromanage them to get them through uh, a complex time or something but even people with um, very stable disease where nothing's changing um, they'll still have an appointment every three months so I tend to see them at their medical oncology appointments and then they've got my details to call me if there's anything that comes up in between those reviews. So, and then there's always, I say it's sort of like a pyramid, and the top of the pyramid is the people where their disease is progressing, things are changing, you know, they're having a tough time on treatment or they're not responding to the treatment, and they're the people I'll be seeing more often. And then that 
that sort of shifts, you know, and the people in the bottom of the triangle, they move up as as people um, die from their illness, then they're sort of, you know, the next level of people, I guess, that move up and I have more contact with them and then, you know, it changes again. So it sort of goes in waves, I guess, for people. And um, how much, I, I guess, that the, the people don't usually experience breast cancer in, in isolation. They they have a, um, I guess, the effect of breast cancer is felt very strongly in with families and communities. What's your role in in helping the families and, and the, the patient's support network through the process as well? Well, I guess um, there's, you know, like most of the women, uh, you know, you know, the majority of people with breast cancer are women. There's 1% of men, and I've certainly looked after some gentlemen as well. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the women are well supported by their families, but even the families don't always understand exactly what it means. So I, I think there's this um, role of women in protecting their family and not telling them everything and they brush it aside or put their own health, you know, last even when they do have this incurable disease they worry about everybody else first so sometimes the husbands will ring me as well and say I'm concerned about you know my wife what's happening where are we at and you know I've got permission to to inform them to let them know um so and I guess it's keeping an eye out for them as well because like I said cancer impacts on families too so if the husbands or the the daughters or people like that need um, some extra support, then I can refer them to services as well. Um, I, I guess for them it's just knowing that they're getting their wife or their mum is getting good care as well. That sort of does ease their mind. But I had one husband say to me today, he read the ca- article in the Canberra Times and he said, oh, that that made us think, that made us really think about what we're facing and how we do need to get our act together and um, get moving on a few things because I guess there were some home truths in that that, rang a bell with them so mm, about the, I, I the like life sorry yeah, about life yeah. after after death well just about time frames and how yeah. things will, will progress like this this disease doesn't just stop one day it doesn't just say okay I've metastasized and that's it I'm going to stop it will it will move on right. and I guess you know we can try and stay a step ahead of it but we've only got so many treatments and you know so many different things that we can throw at it and, you know, we don't have a cure yet. So it's just a waiting game sometimes. So can you describe, um, obviously, leaving out whatever details are um, not appropriate to share, but what a kind of average day or what today looked like? What, what were you actually doing? Okay, well, I usually um, I, I have family-friendly hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I work um, three days a week. From 7.30 to 6, right. uh, which is good because I get to work and I've got time to prepare for clinics. So that's just checking, um, you know, any clinic list. So who's coming in today? And I usually know that, you know, a few days in advance, but you always – things change and you're not always told. So I just check the list of who's coming in and then I go down to um, level two, which is where we see our outpatients. And um, I'm usually um, – sort of hanging around the oncologist, but I, there's a multidisciplinary room there where I can base myself in. And so I will listen out. And if I hear the patient's about to go in with the doctor, then I go into the consult with the patients. So there are a few in today, about five reviews today, which is a quiet day for me. And so I um, I have permission from the patients to attend their appointment with them. So I sit in on the entire consult and we talk about if they've had any recent scans. We talk about their recent blood tests, um, how they're going with treatment, any side effects, any questions that might come up, um, you know, my group of patients will be considering um, early retirement or um, 
you know, leaving work and we talk about referrals to um, the financial and legal support with the Cancer Council or, you know, um, the they bring the forms into me to get their doctors to complete so they can move forward with accessing their superannuation and things like that. Um, I do referral to social work if things are getting very tricky for them or they need some extra support there. Um, I can have patients, so that's the patients in clinic. We see I always make sure they leave with their next um, appointment so that's on time to coincide with their treatment because you shouldn't have chemotherapy without a doctor's review. So they always have to have an appointment booked before the next treatment. Um, I can have people ring me in between all of these reviews and say, you know, so-and-so has become unwell and we're concerned and then I'll, you know, usually knowing what's going on, I'll do a referral to palliative care and send that off as well. Um, then there's other things in between all that. There's drug companies calling me to talk about, you know, their drug and do I need any more information to give the patients about the medication? And there's things with pharmacy that come up and it's just sort of this constant, you know, a thousand things at once with a thousand interruptions at the same time. And you just try and keep all the balls juggling mm-hmm. <laughs> so you don't miss something. And then I come home with things scribbled <laughs> over both hands trying to, you know, make sure I've done this and that and, you know, that everything's sorted before I leave for the day. <laughs> right. And you do you share your, your kind of caseload with another nurse? No, I don't job share right. at all. So, no. It's yours. So what's yeah. the um, – you know, I, I think that probably a lot of people imagine that being, I guess, surrounded by um, this illness and, and death, it would make for quite a um, difficult job. What do you do to, I guess, sustain yourself and, and maintain positivity in that kind of environment? Yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure. Like I've been asked that today. I spoke to someone who was newly diagnosed with secondary breast cancer today and she said, oh, you must just go home at the end of every day so flat. And I said, well, no, I don't because I get to help people. So I go home feeling good because I've saved you, you know, 10 phone calls into the hospital trying to find the right person to talk to or, you know, I know that I've um, made your life a bit simpler and you can stay home with your family and hang out with them instead of coming in here and trying to, you know, get answers to things. So, But I don't know, like I've worked in oncology now for, gosh, I started as a new graduate in 1999 in oncology, so 16 years. and for some reason, I just always wanted to be in oncology. I just knew that without before I even set foot on, on an oncology ward. Um, I think it's probably going back to my new graduate year. The patients were just so, so special. There was just something about them that when faced with, the, I think, one of the greatest challenges, they all just had this resilience and this strength about them that I remember, you know, this room of four women I'd look after and going in the morning and you think, oh, they, you know, just awful diseases not just breast cancer and and they'd still be chatting to each other and planning things for the family and putting some makeup on or some and I just thought wow that's this is strength in them that I just think is admirable so um that's probably what got me hooked in oncology and then um I guess I just always found breast cancer patients uh, a bit special and my father's sister was diagnosed with breast cancer and had a very rough time so it was around the time McGrath Foundation was starting up. So I guess that just sort of caught my interest. And then I was lucky enough for a job to be advertised in Canberra. But I don't know how, I guess you just learn from people and, you know, you try to go home and not sweat the small stuff. But you um, you just realise every day you get a reminder that life is short, try and enjoy it, mm. love your family, hug your kids. You know, and there's people that have bigger traumas in the world, you know, and, and more awful things that happen. But you know, I guess with cancer, you get some time to plan and some time to 
say goodbye. You know, we still do cure a lot of cancer. I have to remind myself of that often that we are we are curing people and we do win this battle if you're going to liken it to a battle. But um, for my patients, I guess by the time the end comes, they've usually had such a rough time and that they usually know. And it's been treatment after treatment after treatment for hopefully many years and it's tiring and their bodies have changed and they don't look like they used to and they're sick of it all. They're sick of the treatments, they're sick of the blood tests, they're sick of coming into the hospital. And, um, you know, and, but from day one we're always aiming for quality of life. But I just, I guess it's just making sure that they've had that quality of life and um, they've had some good days They've had everything available to them that they should have in this, you know, country of ours, uh, and they've had people around them that care. And I guess I go home knowing that if I do that every day, then I've done an all right job. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's awesome. That's, it's kind of interesting because I was reading the the Canberra Times article um, the other weekend. Uh, you you were featured in the the Sunday Canberra Times lift out and as part of the the breast cancer awareness month and um this this new book that's been launched stories from the mcgrath foundation and um it really you know struck me that it sounded like a lot of your patients talk about what a kind of source of of strength and positivity you are but in hearing you just talk about that it sounds like you actually take a lot from your patients as as well um that you you learn a lot from them and you're kind of inspired by them as well so it sounds like um Perhaps it's mutual kind of respect. yeah mutual support <laughs> and um, from each other. Um, so, so what's the best part of your job? Oh wow, um, I guess it's knowing that I, you know, I guess I could be sort of fickle and say it's going to the cricket with the McGrath Foundation and it's meeting Glenn and it's uh-huh. you know meeting the health minister or going to you know government house and having afternoon tea with the governor, mm. the governor general. Like I've, I've had the chats and all those things, but I think it really is just it's when you've just helped someone out. Like you just know that you've, you've rung someone at home to give them some information that, you know, the, the scan's okay, you know, that the doctors have reviewed it all and it's actually not as bad as we thought and it's okay. And I don't know, you just get to, you know, people aren't waiting three weeks to hear that, but people like me are there that they'll say, oh, can you ring and tell so-and-so that this is, this is okay or this is what we're going to do. And you just know that people aren't waiting for weeks or months or whatever to get results and they have answers and they they know what's going on so I guess it's just it's basic nursing it's just helping people it's just caring that's all it is you just care enough about people to make sure that they've got the right information and that things that should happen for them do that's that's the best part it's just nursing in the article it was it was very clear that just how highly um some of the families that you've worked with think of you and I think I've you know heard words describe you as a um a like you know a, a magician and things like that um so I'm just kind of curious as to how, how do you manage the like the impact on your life um and you don't job share and you're clearly very available for these families how do you balance I guess servicing the needs of these these families and these women um with with maintaining your own life and your own family and your own needs well, I guess I'm I'm getting better at that as the years go by because I used to be, you know, I used to bring the work home, the work phone home, and I used to um, be available a bit more. But that that was hard. I guess I was getting a bit um, stressed at times with that, with trying to, you know, get a two year old to bed and have the work phone ringing was a bit much mm-hmm. <laughs> for me as a mum. You can't kind of be so, present for for either party then, can you? 
No, no. So that wasn't that wasn't great. So um, I guess I've just you know as you meet new patients, you sort of I guess what I have to remind myself was is that I'm part of a team. I'm part of a multidisciplinary team that's well established that is made up of fabulous members in Canberra. All of the doctors, the registrars, radiology, everyone's a part of it. And I'm just another part of that. Yes, I'm more accessible, but the patients know the days that I'm accessible. So the days that I work, I'm there from 7.30 to 6, and they are more than welcome to call me, drop in and see me, make an appointment, see me, whatever else. But the two other days, it is um, they're redirected to call within the cancer service. There's two numbers I give them for medical oncology or radiation oncology. Or they send me an email and I address it when I'm back at work, you know, say on the Friday. But they... And, and that's going back to the some onus on the patients because, you know, and the cancer service is better set up now. Like if they are unwell, we have a rapid assessment unit so they can come in um, to a rapid assessment unit and be seen by a nurse practitioner. And that's good because if I'm not there and they're concerned about a symptom, they can still come in and be seen, but it doesn't have to be me. So, um, you know, if, if their legs fall and they need an ultrasound, the rapid assessment unit will organise that. So they still get care. If there's anything else, it can wait till the Friday. You know, if it's but they read, you know, if it's heart or breathing problems, you still need to go to ED. If there's anything else cancer related, you come to the rapid assessment unit. If Karen's there, call Karen first, and I'll triage people. So that's something that we've got in place now that certainly helps me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I I should probably ask my husband how I manage. I probably come home and I'm a raving lunatic <laughs> most of the time and a screaming, you know, frustrated, cranky person. But um. I don't know. I think I just I, – I, t- I don't come home and always just switch off. There's not a switch between work and home and I just switch it off. I do come home and I worry about people and I've certainly been on leave and been worried about people. Um, I think that's only caring about people really. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I'm not an exercise fanatic. I'm certainly, you know, someone who needs to do that more and I'm trying that now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how I manage. I think I just – I have faith and I have a supportive family and I, I know my work is appreciated. I have very supportive colleagues. I have the multidisciplinary team. You know, I'm, I'm well supported in what I do. Yeah. I have the McGrath Foundation too. They're great too. So, yeah, my work is acknowledged and that in itself is enough sometimes. So on those, those two days when you're not um, being McGrath Foundation breast care nurse, what are you doing in those, those other days? Oh, I hang out with my child. I get to do school drop-off. Right. I take Cullen to swimming lessons. I get to go and visit my mum and have cups of tea with my mum and my uh-huh. sisters and their children. Yeah. Um, oh, I get I, – for the first time this year, I get Thursday mornings to myself. So I get about three and a half hours while Cullen's at play school and Ethan's at school. And so I, I've been catching up with a friend or I go and do some shopping on my own, you know, not the groceries, just nice shopping. Um, or sometimes I've sat at home and just read a magazine. <laughs> and do you, do you find that, that having that time, um, sorry, I guess working those part-time arrangements helps you to, to maintain some perspective and some balance and yeah, on, on both? Yeah, I think it does. I, I, I quite often say to my colleagues that some part-time is good because you get a break from it all. I think if it was the pace that I go out for a Monday and a Tuesday and the Friday, if I had to do that five days a week, I think I probably would have fallen in a heap a bit sooner, like, you know. I don't think I would be um, – I don't think I'd still be able to deliver the same standard all the time. Um, you, you touched briefly on, um, I guess, your desire to be an oncology or work in the oncology nursing um, for quite some time. Did you – so kind of way back in high school when you're making those decisions <laughs> about your career, did you always want to be a nurse? No, no, not at all. 
I um it was only in year twelve or year eleven when um I think the careers advisor sort of said, What do you want to do? And I said, Well, I don't want a desk job. And in Canberra that pretty much ruled me out of the public service. Um and then I think with the courses I'd done they sort of said, um, you know, you could probably get into nursing and I just thought, Oh, that would be all right. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't something I'd you know, I think mum's got a picture of me, you know, when I was five dressed as a nurse, but it certainly wasn't something that I knew I was going to do. Um, and then I just, you know, the ability to travel with nursing and work overseas and everything, it all just sort of um, worked for me. So, so you did I, that? You lived, you did, you worked overseas after? Yeah, school? yeah. So I, I started my degree at Canberra Uni and then um, did my final year at Wagga at Charles Sturt. And then I um, back then used to have these consortiums and have these new grad placements. And I got one at Royal North Shore Hospital. Had never had never seen North Shore, but always knew once I started my degree that I wanted to work at Royal North Shore. And I think it was because at the end of a country practice, I always thanked the staff <laughs> from North Shore Hospital. And I was like, I'm going to work there, you know, so I could be like a country practice matron salon or something. Um, and so I went up to North Shore and had a fabulous time there. So my first placement in that practice year was um, in that new grade year was oncology, and I just you know it was well staffed. There were lots of senior nurses. It was supportive. You know, we're all single girls age 25, you know, 23, whatever, that had um, moved from the country or from Canberra to Sydney. So we all just got along like a house on fire. You know, it was it was a good time. Um, lived on the resis, you know, it was fabulous. And then from there I went over and worked in Dublin for a year. Um, had to have a date to return, otherwise I don't think I ever would have. So only committed to a year there. Um, went back to North Shore and then um, – after the Canberra bushfires, I decided it would probably be nice to be home and be around family again. So I came home in 2003. Right. I've been here ever since. And when did you start working for the McGrath Foundation? Uh, 2009. Okay. So um, had you uh, – yeah, I guess what was the connection? You mentioned your aunt had had a breast cancer experience. Um, yeah. So how did you find out about this this role and, and what attracted you to it? Well, when I was um, – when the – um, Canberra Hospital was putting in the application for this position. I knew about it because I that actually um, I, I just I'd moved over to do another cancer coordinator position, and I was the cancer coordinator for patients with gastrointestinal cancers, and I've been doing that for about eight months when this job came up, and so I applied for this one. So that was just you know breast cancer. I find you know is better for me than the other cancer, but mm-hmm. um, that was good good experience to get into this position. Yeah. So that was uh, yeah. And so the the position is you work um that you're embedded in Canberra Hospital, but your position yes. is funded by the McGrath Foundation, is that right? It's funded point four, so two days a week by the McGrath Foundation, and ACT Health funded um zero point six FTE, so they pay the other three days. Um, so it's a full time position, but I work point eight or something just for the to have a few days home with the kids during the week. Um, and so, where? What's your What's your next move? Do you have a next move planned, or are you um, Are you pretty kind of embedded in this role? Uh, I always say that if I get complacent and you know if I start to not do my job so well, it's time to leave. Um, I don't feel that yet, so I, I'd, I'd like. I think I've still got some more to offer. It's been a good year. Last year was a great year for um, secondary breast cancer. There were a lot of new drugs um, passed through the TGA and came onto the PBS, so it's been an exciting time for new treatments and things like that, so it's been good to be around for all of that. Um, I, I don't feel – I don't have a plan 
as of yet to leave. Okay. So I hope not. My yeah, uh, it's it's a position that's um, it's uh, advertised, I guess, every four years due to the funding agreement. It's an ACT health, you know, HR thing. They have to advertise it. But I'd like to think I'm a pretty suitable candidate each time that comes around. Um, so how do you what, – what kind of professional development are you engaged in? Like how do you maintain your awareness of, of all the new developments in, um, I guess, both the specific cancer care, breast cancer care, but also, I guess, patient care and wellbeing, um, death and dying, you know, those kind yeah. of areas more generally? Well, I've got um, – to, to go through my qualifications, I've got a um, – you know, I'm an RN. I've got a graduate certificate in oncology. I'm accredited as a breast care nurse and I've got two master's degrees, one in palliative care and the other as a master's of nursing as um, nurse practitioner in oncology and breast cancer. Um, on top of that, I also um, have run since 2012, I've, uh, I established and run a um, breast cancer special interest group. So that's a group of nurses from the regional cancer centres around um, Canberra and some um, local staff and we meet four times a year um, for network and education opportunities where we get um, guest speakers. So it can be the surgeons, it can be genetics, it can be physiotherapy, um, and we also have drug company support. So they give us an update on any medications and things as well. Um, I also – we have various meetings and things at the hospital that, you know, you go to as well. And I've also – the McGrath Foundation are really good with, um, with our professional development. It's all built into the contract. So we get – um, an interstate conference once a year and then they hold their own um, workshops as well. So lately they've been doing a lot of work on communication in secondary breast cancer for a lot of their um, McGrath nurses who I said earlier only um, really look after people with early breast cancer and they're realising there's you know, more people being diagnosed with secondary. It's a more complex group. They've got unmet needs and so they've been sort of um, upskilling all their staff to look after people like what I do in secondary breast cancer. So there's – and we've got a lot of support. They've got some good relationships with people like Dr Jane Turner and Gemma Gilchrist who are in Sydney and Brisbane, and they do a lot of um, psychosocial sort of um, support for the McGrath nurses as well. So lots of lots of help there. And then they have, they have lots of update education sessions that they, you know, get us to go to um, in Sydney or wherever, our, you know, your closest sort of regional ones going to be held at, so it's very good. Right, so that, that kind of strength of the network of the nurses who are working for my grand foundation and the, I guess, the associated um, supporters or providers sounds like a real strength of the, yeah. the model. Yep. yep. Right. Get to catch up with all the regional ones quite often, so that's good too. Because yep. especially in Canberra, we a lot of the people, you know, the Canberra Regional Cancer Centre covers, um, we used to cover young as well, but not any long, not anymore, and then we still look after Golden, Vigo, Maruya and Kuma. So we've got patients that come to from those regions to the Cancer Centre here in Canberra for their first consult. Then we might send them back and they might have their follow-up appointments in the regional clinics or they might come up here and have all of their treatment if it's complex or, you know, we're worried about them. They'll, they'll travel up and have all of their treatment here. So in the meantime, you know, chemo is given every three weeks, we send them back home and we let those regional cancer coordinators know what's going on so they can be their local support when the patients are at home. So to be seeing them regularly at conferences and education updates and things like that is really good because you can say, oh, you know, you just just having that uh, personal relationship with people just makes it a whole lot easier to work with people, and mm. it's really nice. Yeah, and I imagine that these are people who have a kind of a, a similar shared experience to you, so can empathise with your frustrations and your um, your difficulties and and the joys yeah. as well. Yeah, 
definitely. So um, this podcast will probably go to air uh, early next month, but this month, um, October, is is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So what, um, I guess, what misconceptions would you like to challenge or, or what 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 um, particular information would, about breast cancer would you do you think is most important to share with the wider community? Oh, gee. Um, I guess that, you know, it's important to remember that even though one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer before they're 75, um, you know, we've got evidence here in Canberra that 95% of women will be alive and well, you know, even after all that treatment. So uh, I guess the other thing is, you know, there's no – you don't just – for people with early breast cancer, it's not have surgery, have chemo, have radiation, start some tablets, and life will be normal again. Like mm. it's a hard treatment. It takes time to get over it. You won't be the same person you were at day one, um, but you will come through it. There's lots of support out there, uh, and it, but it is a hard slog, but there's people to help. And I guess the other thing is, you know, for people with secondary breast cancer, um, you know, the doctors will always talk about a palliative treatment, but basically that means quality of life. So our aim is um, not to – we can't cure people, but we can keep them alive and well, usually for um, for some years, and the treatments are getting better and the government's been really good at getting some access to some drugs that have made a big difference. So there's new treatments coming. There's always hope um, and just, um, yeah, just – to stick with your oncologist, just keep going to those appointments because it's for people who don't come in that we, we, you know, we can't help. So keep coming in, keep talking to us and let us help you and, you know, we can make life a lot easier. That's been really great. Thank you for um, for taking the time to share that. And, um, yeah, and it sounds like you do a, a tremendous job and um, I'm sure that, well, I don't know that from, from, from reading these various articles that the impact that you make on, on so many women's lives is, is such a tremendous one. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like more information about the McGrath Foundation, you can find it online at mcgrathfoundation.com.au. If you're looking for information and support for people affected by breast cancer, Karen suggested the Breast Cancer Network Australia website as a great resource, bcna.org.au. If you'd like to hear more Women Talk Work, you can subscribe via iTunes or stream via the website, womentalkwork.com. There is also a contact form on the website where I'd love to receive your feedback or suggestions for future guests or topics. Thanks to YWCA Canberra for their support for the podcast through the Great Ideas Small Grants Program. See you next time. Bye.